Hello and welcome to the 12th podcast of edition VFO. My name is David Kallet and I'm speaking to Katja Novitskova today. Katja is joining me from Amsterdam today and we will be speaking about her new work Microbial Oasis Mutation Zero that is currently on show in our exhibition on photography. Hello Katja, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Then I would directly start with the first question regarding your new body of work, like the microbial oasis that you have shown recently in the Kunstfort in Amsterdam. Could you tell me and us a bit about your new project in terms of the current edition that we have here in our exhibition on photography? I've been dreaming about kind of doing some form of synthetic design for proteins or for molecular structures for a few years. And I thought that there would be some kind of complex way to design my own algorithm to do that. Perhaps like collaborate with Google or something. But I didn't. I ended up just doing it kind of do-it-yourself style. And earlier this year... Uh, still stuck at home with uh, with all the lockdowns, I decided that it's time to try out a project like this because it's purely digital and could be done kind of from home. I collaborated with a programmer and artist, Maximilian Kreis, who helped me just to set up, a, let's say, an experiment. <laughs> and the experiment was that we scraped the online database of the website called Protein Data Bank, It's like a public platform for molecular structures, uh, for models, models of proteins, models of viruses, and other kind of important molecular structures. And then we use this great data set to train a simple StyleGAN algorithm, machine learning. And it's an algorithm that is used, let's say, to make deep fakes of uh, faces and stuff like that. I think Max edited a bit the algorithm and we generated a whole bunch of models that looked realistically similar to, to the real ones. But they were models that didn't exist in real life of things that could be a virus or could be a, a protein. Uh, and all this uh, scientific kind of base. But what I really wanted to do was just kind of design my own, my own molecule and design my own viruses. And this desire came from before the corona, from before the pandemic, and it kind of coincided with it. I think what I'm interested in is uh, is actually kind of a more holistic, ecological thinking Yeah, because I'm not interested in the fact that these images that we create or scientists create are artificial or speculative. I'm interested in in the gradient between the real thing also and the speculation and how they inform each other. And so like how our models of the world also change the world. And I think that's a very real loop, you know, the fact that, you know, actual... Uh, shifts in environment happen because of how people share and interpret images or the images that they make and they don't make because a lot of this stuff is about also what we're not focusing on or what we're not capable of focusing on. In my last uh, video that I did for this exhibition, Microbial Oasis, I have this phrase called biological unknown unknowns. 
And it's a reference to Rumsfeld stated that there are military unknown unknowns about terrorism. So there is this sort of potential, like things that the military even doesn't know it doesn't know. Uh, and this is, a, this is an anecdote that uh, is very common in Zizek's uh, lectures. He always talks about this unknown unknown category. And what I, what there's also, you know, what kind of COVID pandemic showed is that there's a lot of biological unknown unknowns or environmental unknown unknowns, all these kind of feedback loops that we don't even know are possible yet. Uh, and so there's this kind of constant tension between people trying to create tons of images of reality and capture it and the reality itself escaping this uh, mapping and this visualization uh, and is a lot due to biases that we have and that the algorithms have and is due to just that it's impossible to really capture or sense everything that is going on in the world it's just not possible so there's this there's always this tension between what's really going on kind of and our interpretation of that most of your work is between the digital and the analog. And I would also say it's a lot about the spaces in between science and technology, culture and aesthetics, and like the flow of capital in a way and how mm -hmm. it is used. So how do you navigate and consolidate those different fields in your practice in terms of the imagery? Like how, how do you use it also for the people who probably don't know your work very well? Because also the topic we have is photography and you work a lot with photography, but uh, mm -hmm. in, in a very different way than like normal photographers would work. Like how, how do you develop this and how important are the perspectives or the ways of seeing for your work? Mm -hmm. So the way I use photography is more like a philosopher. I use it already as an existing material. So you take it from the internet or kind of I scan something, something that is already existing. And then I change it and modify it towards whatever narratives I'm, I'm looking into. And for example, with the project that we just discussed, I still see this contemporary uh, visual uh, things like uh, digital models as part of photography in a sense, because it's kind of a realistic depiction of something that exists. It's also flat. Uh, but it has an illusion of kind of proportions. And for me, there's a kind of a gradient between like a raw photography and uh, a 3D model of a protein. So there's, a, for me, there's still like existing um, depiction of reality uh, narrative. And in that sense, I can use both photorealistic photography and uh, scientific graphs to make the work. Digital matter, like JPEGs, PNGs, they all flatten all these different uh, types of images into just file formats. So it's easy to mix them. That's also why I think a lot of our cultural transformations of the last 20 years are influenced by this technological uh, reality of just flattening. I think, for example, the phenomenon of these widespread conspiracy theories where you can combine a couple of images and all of a sudden you see some narrative is it kind of comes from that also the kind of collapse of authority any image is just an image it doesn't matter if it's a world famous photographer or if it's a blurry thing somebody took on their nokia phone it's like all and so that's very interesting to me i would like to 
just ask two very broad questions coming back to the beginning like mm -hmm. having your book here also from the Venezuela like if only you could see what I've seen with your eyes so mm -hmm. what I see in your work or what you propose is a different way of of seeing things that are Mm -hmm. kind of uh, kind of absent how important is it for you to let's say uncover the things that are there back again to the materiality and that we almost never encounter in our life as matter because it's kind mm -hmm. of invisible there is one aspect of it which i which i find very difficult to talk about because it's so subtle which is i'm just curious how this invisible matter or is just being visualized in a very direct sense, you know, why would somebody choose to color a protein with like bright orange color? Or why would somebody choose to, you know, to use a 3D software that people um, make Pixar movies with uh, to visualize viruses? There's this choice of aesthetics that happens that I think actually tells us more about us than the actual viruses or the protein. It's, it's more about the, our contemporary understanding of um, what is visual language and what is form, what is uh, art, what is not art. And that is very subtle stuff, but it's, it's actually like intuitively what keeps me returning to, to using these images. Uh, because I think in the end, it's not about even the science, it's about our culture and scientists being part of that culture that create images, basically. And there's this one book by Janet Vertesi from uh, Princeton University. I think she's a sociologist and she wrote a, several books and or I think she wrote one and is working on another And uh, her first book is called Seeing Like a Rover. Basically, it's about how the images from Mars are a product of uh, robots and people who decide how to interpret these images. But also people build the robot and they choose the angles of how to photograph Mars. And also people then colorize this data into like pictures. And so there's nobody actually seen the surface of Mars And our interpretation of that surface is uh, connected to what we already know, which is uh, images of deserts and like exploration of wild uh, west in uh, America, for example, like a, almost a colonial uh, mapping. You work with archive and appropriation, mm -hmm. but the archive is, is large. So how, how do you navigate this sea of images or the archive it's just to come yeah. in on, on the things that you were saying about your work it's a choice already that is informed by some kind of knowledge so for example when I decide that oh the next body of work will be about images of laboratory animals it's an intuitive choice but it's informed by a shift in uh, the nature of the image for example so When a photography used to be kind of a precious medium, it, it couldn't be just done in, in millions in an instant where there was film and, uh, and you had to have laboratories and you had to, it was a laborious process. With the emergence of digital cameras, uh, the scientific process also changed because all of a sudden 
uh, taking thousands and thousands of uh, digital images became norm and and there was an emergence of these data sets of uh, photographs of laboratory animals and petri dishes or you know all this kind of stuff and then comes me and they're like oh this is a new nature photography it's a new nature it's nature in new conditions with new cameras and new forms of reading this information uh, but it was not a rational decision. It was just something that I noticed. You take rather microbial or how would you say nano <laughs> nanometer kind of pieces of matter that people cannot see and transform them into this immersive installation. So how, how do you choose like working in different scales? What scale uh, like what matter gets what scale and why yes. and how, how do you approach this in terms of image scale and space i felt like i should try to make a more immersive space a more immersive art because i think in my work uh, the moment of experience and affect is important of how a person experiences the artwork and i want them a little bit to forget that they're just in a museum looking at a wall I want them to feel that they are in in this transformed environment and an environment that has like logic and signals that they haven't experienced before. And I often think of my installations as kind of movie sets for movies that don't exist or theater plays that don't exist. They just, it's just kind of an arrangement that there's a narrative, but there's no actors in between or there's no action in between. The props are the actors. <laughs> I'm not a theater person, but I, I, there was a time in my life that I obsessively watched cinema. I've seen more cinema than art exhibitions. You know, I've never, I think I've only seen one installation by Thomas Hirschhorn in my life, in real life. But when I think of my work, I'm thinking, yeah, I like this direction of total installation, but the visually and thematically, the inspiration for that would be coming from films. And this gesture of taking kind of a microbiological image or some sort of uh, astronomical image and scaling them down or up is a way to create uh, forms that are kind of surreal, basically, or tr trigger uh, part of a person's brain or consciousness that is not template. And uh, that's, again, kind of taking tropes from horror movies where... Often the, the monster protagonist is just an upscaled insect or, you know, a slug. And, uh, and kind of taking the vastness of space and scaling it down to like a, a little kind of a sculpture also shifts something. And so I just play with this effects kind of almost. Effects in the sense that uh, they, they create certain dynamic in the exhibition space that maybe couldn't exist anywhere else. Thank you, Katya, and thank you all for joining me today. For more information on the work Microbial Oasis Mutation Zero by Katya Novitskova or on our exhibition on photography, you can visit our website at www.vfo.ch. If you would like to request images or more information, you can reach us at info at vfo.ch. Thank you for joining us today and we would be happy to welcome you in our premises and if you join us for our next podcast. 
Thank you.